Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book in the link below. Thank you always. What a pleasure. And, and first, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This you type of weather, you all got nerve enough to be inside? Yeah. Well, they came for you. And they came because, you know, you, you have a long, long set of Chicago roots. You spent many years living here. Raised, raised your family here. Yes. Raised some hell here. Yes. A little bit. More than a little bit. Yeah, more than a little bit. Yeah, but it was fun. Where did you, where did you live when you were living here? And, and what, were, what were you up? That was back in the days, when you were early days. Of I your, was out by the University of Chicago on 55th Street. That building that they put right in the middle of the street. It's the only city in the world where the politics is so strange, you can build a building in the middle of the street and make cars go around. Right? <laughs> and so I was there, and this, that's how I met my wife. I was. She was at the University of Chicago, and I was taking a shortcut through, and she thought I was a professor. Yeah. <laughs> Honest mistake, but a uh, good one. Yes. Turned out pretty well. How many For years me. now? For How me. many years? 50. 50, 50 years. years. No, no, no. <laughs> Love ain't got nothing to do with it. <laughs> she told me when we first got married, if you ever leave me, I will hurt you. And hurt will keep a brother home for a long time. <laughs> and there's another word that'll keep a brother home that Michael Jordan found out about called half. <laughs> My problem is, I, I guess, like a lot of black men, I, I didn't know how strong. So I've always said the strongest two forces in the history of America has always been the black woman and the black church. But I didn't realize how you know, how, how smart she was uh, until that, well, there's certain things that happened that, you know, Kobe Bryant, remember that mm -hmm. incident? A white woman accused him of, of raping her. Right. And he went home and bought his wife a $4 million diamond ring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, if a white woman tonight accused me of raping her and I go buy Lil a $4 million diamond ring, she'd get two more white women. <laughs> <laughs> Fast. You hear me? Because she got enough sense to know wherever that ring came from, there's a matching necklace and bracelet. Huh? <laughs> and sometimes you just kind of forget, you know, you, you live with, you take them for granted, you know. And I don't know why most Americans have not been able to see that the whole rhythm have changed. So Y'all be playing games and, and talk about the young folks this and 
talk about young folks that I was at a conference the other day and they talking about the young the young boys with their pants hanging down but uh, if that was women with your pants there we would love it <laughs> and so my reaction is simple that's cool but why is this a priority Hitler never wore his pants down the mafia you can't find people more immaculate than them huh? The priests that got busted for ripping off little boys for 100 years, they never wore their pants down. The problem is, is when you try, because your spirit is not there, to identify wrong by the way it look, then you're in trouble. Instead of saying, wait, I don't qualify to analyze this, but let's see if we can find somebody. If you ever bit your tongue, you know how bad that hurts. Hmm? These white children go stick their tongue out and run five screws through it and they're not taking painkiller and y'all so arrogant and on a crazy side or nothing, locked up with greed. You don't even know what that means. Anytime your young folks start inflicting pain on themselves, huh? then you better watch it. If you go back and check and find out why the Chinese hate the Japanese, it's because of the invasion in 1933. And they had instructions not to kill the leaders. Every young Chinese man you see with a tattoo blow their brains out. And you don't even know what they knew, that tattoo represents revolution. So y'all can laugh at these children if you want. And think they're crazy. And uh, Anyway, that's up. Good, good advice, good advice. You, you mentioned politics and, and that big building on the south side. Yes. And there's another big building downtown that back in the day when you were doing your protesting stuff, you called a snake pit. You remember that? You called City Hall a snake pit, and you called oh. the gentleman who was running at the time a snake. You remember who that was? You know, why you tell me I can't bring no gun here, and then you start bringing up all that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you said it. What, you trying to get a story for the Mars paper? Yeah, well, <laughs> I write for the Sun-Times, remember? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, but Richard right. J. Daly, you, were, you yes. ran against Richard J. Daly. You, you, I ran you, against against, him. you marched outside of his house. I ran against him. And uh, I couldn't understand why he was so upset. I had white cops that didn't even like me was coming to tell me, said, you know, you can die for what you're doing. I didn't really. And what they were talking about was, um, this man was probably, you'd have to go back to the early days of the Roman Empire to find someone that was his most powerful. There was more power. Was, yeah. His embarrassment was, <clears throat> that I was running as a write-in candidate. And what they was worried about was High Park Kenwood. Educated group, uh, money group, and they know how to write in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what his embarrassment was. Mm -hmm. How did you that, do in that race? I did, I did well. I, if I'd have won, I'd have asked for a recount. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something's got to be wrong with this picture. Something, yeah, <laughs> something, somewhere, you know. It's just like when, when, when they, they, they found Richard Nixon's hate list. And, and uh, uh, the AP called me, Mr. Gregory, uh, 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 we got a hate list of, uh, of Dick Nixon and you number three. Can we get a comment from you? I say, tell him I accept before he changes his mind. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
but, but those were fun days. I learned a lot here. I, you know, I come out of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. You go to St. Louis. You ever, you ever go? Oh yeah, I was just there the other day. I went to. I was on campus on your campus at SIU, yeah. Carbondale, where you went to school. Yeah. Well, anytime you go through St. Louis, sit your watch back three hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's slow down there, huh? Slow. So you were, you also and, and and white folks mm -hmm. and black folks are different. Uh, when the economy got bad and white folks decided that you couldn't keep those three or four dogs, you called the animal shelter, and they picked them up. That's why animal shelters are full, and their budget is gone. Mm -hmm. Now my black cousin, he, he don't know nothing about no animal shelter. He got five pit bulls that he realized he lost his job. He couldn't feed them. So he carried them in his car 30 miles outside of St. Louis to a little town called Kenlock and just let them go. They beat him home. <laughs> <laughs> so you also ran for president ran long for president. before a certain gentleman who now occupies the White House. Matter of fact, until he ran, I was the only African American to run for president. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Did y'all come to hear me? I'll come to hear you. <laughs> Shirley Chisholm. Was a woman. Shirley Chisholm. Al Sharpton. And all the others. Carol Mosey Braun. Jesse they Jackson. ran in the primary. Mm -hmm. I ran on a write-in candidate and had Obama not won the primary, then up until this day, I would still be the only black in the history of America to run for president of the United States. That's why you got to be careful with perception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, had I been, you know, I never realized how lucky white folks are, you know. <laughs> I mean, when you finally get an African-American that's your president, he's a nice, polite one. <laughs> uh, went to Harvard. Oh, head of his class. See, what y'all really needed was a brother like me. <laughs> and you'd have had a lot to write about. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> so my first act, after I was sworn in, would go to the White House and dig up that rose garden and plant me a watermelon patch. <laughs> well, Michelle's got that garden. Maybe you can talk to her about that now. No, no, they are. They're, no, they they're are, not into that, huh? They, you know, they are kind of. And there'd be no white folks in my cabinet. Y'all didn't laugh on that one, did you? <laughs> And you black folks, the only way you'd qualify to be in my cabinet, you had to go no further in school than the third grade. So how do you think Barack Obama's doing so far? Well, I haven't put my cabinet together yet. Let me do that. Okay, all right. <laughs> then you can tear his apart. You see, see, my belief is this. If these white folks that messed up this country this bad, 
with cabinets, with PhDs, and some of the wealthiest people in the world. And if we end up with this mess, let me try something different. Some Negroes ain't never been to school, can't read, can't write, and let's see if we can change it. Well, I got a cousin outside of St. Louis, Jabbo. He'd be my secretary of defense. And I can just see these white folks on 60 Minutes. Jabbo, now that you're secretary, what you planning on doing about defense? Say, first I'm going to fix it, then paint it. <laughs> now, what did you, what did you ask I me? I asked you, how's Obama doing? And even, and I want to, you know, this is a, what we really want to, I wanted to really talk to you about tonight is race. And yeah, race but first and, you asked you asked the question. And I asked you about Obama. Obama. He's, he's the first. I, I couldn't rate him. He's, he's, he's the first. First, he's an illegitimate president. Okay. Okay. Tell us about that. Well, Bush scared white folks so bad, they forgot they weren't supposed to vote for a Negro. <laughs> So he slid in there. And they was nice, and they was humble, and they was polite. But now they're not scared no more. Now he's catching hell. Mm -hmm. You know, where you been? How come you took the plane to go? You know, that kind of thing. You know? They, they, they suddenly remember he's black. You know, but the, the whole bit is, I wouldn't try to grade him. I'd give him incomplete, because when he came in, the house was on fire. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And, there's certain things that he have to do. Okay, if you like the banks or not, you know. Uh, Jesse James didn't like banks. <laughs> but the perception of banks around the world, if he didn't walk in and say that, now we can put him in jail later, but you had to, what's your name, brother? Paul. Paul. The real one? I thought I heard something. <laughs> no, the earthly one. Okay. Paul, if, if they brought me into the hospital and I've been wounded and bleeding and fractured skull and broken ribs, and while your whole team is working on me, if my heart stops, you got to stop everything and fix this. Well, that's what happened with him when he came in. Huh? He had to fix. And it was so much. That's why I would, I would give him an incomplete. And if I had to grade him, I'd give him an A plus. Mm. You know, A plus. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the things that a lot of people think that he's helped fix is race relations. No, he we're can't. We're living in this post-racial society. No, he can't, we have he a can't, he can't. That's, like, that's like saying he got to be president and my brain tumor. He's not qualified to fix that. His election didn't do it. No, see, in, in America, we look for the cheap way out. Okay? He's not qualified. Let me see if I have it here. And this is kind of, well, maybe I didn't bring it. But I have the research out of UCLA, right? And they did a brain scan on black folks and white folks. You know, this man, he, he reads, uh, and you spend $1,000 a week, right? A week, right, on yes, newspaper. on papers. He reads everything. Well, I get a $1,000 word, I don't pay him all the time. But you don't? <laughs> and you're not even on the internet, you're getting it free. How no, you I just, no, I, I, see, I don't do none of that computer stuff. I pattern my life after Queen Elizabeth. When she learned how to type, I'm gonna learn how to type. 
Queen Elizabeth, you see, if I say something about white folks tonight, you can be guaranteed I'm not talking about you. <laughs> see, what I mean by that, white is not a color, it's an attitude. And if you don't have trillions of dollars in the bank that you don't need, you can't have the attitude. I'm talking about Queen Elizabeth type white folks. And most of the black folks, y'all know, we owe y'all a serious apology because we mad at the wrong white folks. White folks we mad at couldn't help us if they liked us. Matter of fact, they'll kill you on the way to get me. And I guess what I'm trying to say is Queen Elizabeth made $360 million every 24 hours just interest on her money. Hmm? Now them bees, white folks. <laughs> They're not honest, they're not ethical, they're not spiritual, they're not godly, but they don't lie. You see, we're going to war to protect our interests. <laughs> and real white folks, the real white folks run the planet, he never had a job. Hmm? Never had a job. And so it's that whole piece of what we tolerate. And God have kind of blessed us because the only thing that makes us a little safe, and we haven't had them do to us what they did in Germany with Hitler, is we don't have an honest demigod in America. Yeah. Hitler, with all his craziness, he was honest. He told what he was going to do. He wasn't stealing money and all that. And so consequently, if we stop being frightened huh, and stop being afraid, and then and then we can see, we sit here and know that the Wall Street boys determine what legislation, and you ain't gonna say a damn thing about it at all. We take stuff off of them that we wouldn't take off of each other, but that's okay. That's why I can't understand how you call yourself Christians and can be for capital punishment. Well, for two reasons. First, don't you know the state killed Jesus? So how can you cry over the crucifixion of Jesus and be for capital punishment? Huh? He was killed by the state. He wasn't run down by some drunken chariot driver. <laughs> huh? And if Jesus Christ came back, that's why I stopped, you know, that's why I stopped going to, 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 to my Baptist church on, on Easter. So I'm so tired of you black folks every Easter. Were you there when they crucified the Lord? You know, that's a cheap song to sing 2,000 years later. You wasn't there then, and most of you wouldn't show up now. <laughs> and if Jesus Christ came back to America today and bugged the wrong people, they'd give him the electric chair. Yeah. Then all us Christians be walking around with big chairs around our neck, right? <laughs> there you go. How, how do you make the sign of the chair? How do you make the sign of the chair? Oh. Now you said once, I think I saw in my research, you said once that you learned a lot about comedy in the church, that you- that I learned you everything. Talk about that. Well, first, I'm born 1932, right? And so there was no TV. 
gets radio. And uh, come out of a ghetto, never been around white folks. And so all the white comedians, they didn't seem funny to me. But, you know, you young folks, you have to understand where you are today. I mean, I'm born 1932. We were so dumb, we used to listen to tap dancers on the radio. <laughs> I mean, can you believe, especially you old black folks. Hey, old black folks, I don't know what's wrong with these young ones. When we was their age, we didn't have to lock no doors. You didn't have nothing. <laughs> I'm so poor and hungry and ragged when I was a child. The best day we had in our house was Halloween. That's the day you could wear your natural clothes. And everybody thought she was dressed for the occasion. Look at Richard, got on shoes, look just like feet. <laughs> so the church, we were talking about the church. Well, I didn't, we didn't have nightclubs in, in, in St. Louis. And the ones we had was blues and jazz. So there were no comedies. Mm -hmm. So when I hit it big and someone said, where did you learn your comedy? And I realized mine's not comedy, it's humor. And I learned the black church, black preacher. I can just speak for black preachers, white probably the same. Have a new sermon every week, 52 sermons, and don't have Hollywood writers. <laughs> and never give the same sermon over. And they are funny. They don't leave the house to go to church to tell you jokes. It's just something when you enter that zone. Huh? Like the, the funniest laugh you ever had in your life didn't come from no professional comedians, come from friends and relatives. You'd be laying all over on the floor, they tell the same jokes every Thanksgiving, <laughs> the same way. <laughs> the difference between being funny and being a comedian is timing. Timing, huh? Well, why would you need timing if you just, you, you're talking from your spirit, from your, your heart? And so that's what I realized that, that Hugh Hefner, before Hefner brought me in. He brought you to the Playboy Club. The Playboy, right? a Negro comic couldn't work white nightclubs. You could sing, you could dance, but you couldn't stand flat-footed and talk. <laughs> you were the first flat-footer. First. Now before that, when I look at the Bill Cosby's and the Richard Price and all these brilliant black comics, I think about in the last hundred years when we weren't permitted, how many of those did we waste? How many of them was there? And, 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 and so consequently, before that, we was hustlers. Not negative. When the supermarkets won't let me sell my oranges in the supermarket because I'm Negro, I sort of stand up outside and say, that's called hustling. And then Hefner came through and said, you know, bring your oranges in, here. And if you go back and check the records in those days, they always put Negro in front of my name, which didn't bother me. Negro comedian. Then when Bill Cosby came through, you see, because as long as you couldn't work a white nightclub and you was reduced down to hustling, funny, brilliant. And then when that door opened and we were able to work white clubs, 
then that changed from hustling to an art form. Huh? An art form. And what makes Bill Cosby so genius is the same thing that made Michelangelo, all the great artists, because he paint pictures with his voice. And you see it. There was no need for that before. And, and, and so consequently, the door is open now. White women, black women, Asian women, that one knockdown created what you see now. What do you think of some of the comics that are coming along now? I love them. Chris Rock. I love them. My, my, like you, know, you know, you know my grand, my, one of my grandchildren told me, if you go to the movie Granddad and the music too loud, you're just too old to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I have 10 children and 12 grandchildren, and I listen to them, and then I realize how, how dumb we were. I mean, February the 2nd is Groundhog Day. What's a groundhog? <laughs> I go all over the world, been in every restaurant you can go to, I've never seen a groundhog on the menu. <laughs> and you know if you don't eat it, it don't exist. <laughs> but listen what they tell us. On February the 2nd, if the groundhog sees his shadow, you know the story, right? Six more weeks of winter. Huh? Now, spring is March 21st. And when you get home, get your calendar and count from February 2nd to March 21st. That is six weeks. <laughs> Groundhog ain't got a damn thing to do with it. <laughs> you see how easy it is? For, for instance, have you white folks ever asked what is black on black crime? You ask a black person, what's black on black? Well, we tired of black folks killing black folks. And that don't bother you, white folks? We tired of black folks killing white folks. Now, they didn't say they tired of black folks killing. <laughs> they said tired of them killing black folks. Then who be left? <laughs> and if we all went to China tonight, who you think's killing Chinese in China tonight? If we go to Italy tomorrow, who you think's killing Italians in Italy? And if 98% of all white folks that was murdered in America last year was murdered by white folks, if y'all ain't talking about white on white crime, how y'all trick us to talk about black on black crime? You kill where you live. <laughs> and if you black folks tired of black folks killing black, join the Urban League, the NAACP, get with Jesse Jackson, push, get out here and join us and integrate this country. And I guarantee you, if I'm living over there in that white suburban neighborhood, and my old lady make me mad enough to want to shoot somebody, I'm not going to get in my car and drive back to the ghetto. <laughs> so, but all you, all you have to do is just listen. Yeah. Huh? They got all kinds of stuff on TV, but as long as it's these big corporate America putting it on there. Turn on TV, and they're talking about, um, I can't think of the, the pill they give you for men. Oh, Viagra. No, no, the other one. Viagra is a two and a half hour erection, this other one. 
Cialis. Oh, white folk, you know what it is. Yeah. And if you white folk don't believe there's a difference between black and white, they tell you if you have a four-hour erection, go to the emergency room. In my neighborhood, a four-hour erection is called a treat. <laughs> you go to the damn drugstore and tip the pharmacy. <laughs> Speaking of... And they say... Erection, right in front of your children. So my grandson, four years old, walked up to me and said, Granddad, what's an erection? I said, go ask your grandmother. <laughs> That's why I said, y'all got to be careful about these sisters. He came back smiling. I said, well, what did she say? Uh, she told me that uh, uh, she'll tell me later, but for me to tell you, she hasn't seen one of them things around the house in years. <laughs> Pounds. You want to weigh 350 yeah. pounds, as, yeah. I, as yeah. I understand. You smoked yeah. four packs of cigarettes a day. Every day. You drank a fifth of scotch every, every day. day. You were having a good time. Only reason I didn't do drugs was no room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look at you now. Obviously, you, something's happened. Something happened. What happened? What, what got you on that whole health kick? You created some wonderful nutritional products that really took off. It happened here in Chicago, a, a black woman way before anybody knew about the human body and what you should eat, named Dr. Fulton. And uh, she sent me, she had a health food store. You see, I thought good nutrition is whatever you was eating, if you liked it, it didn't run out till you got enough. <laughs> and I thought bad nutrition is if it ran out before you got enough, that was bad nutrition. And it was funny, I drink a fifth of scotch every day and uh, Smoke full packs of cigarettes every day. And nobody ever called me a nut. When I went into health, they said I was a health nut. <laughs> <laughs> and I came up just like everybody else. Huh? You know, doctors, uh, that's all I knew. This 98-year-old woman went to see the doctor. She said, doctor, my right knee hurt. He said, how old are you? She said, 98. She said, that's why your right knee hurt. <laughs> she said, Doc, my left knee is 98 and it don't hurt. <laughs> and it was that and, and then trying things and seeing it and, and then feeling good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't come out of no health family. I, uh, and then one day, I realized I hadn't been sick. And then I went on a fast to protest the war in Vietnam. And I used to drink so much whiskey that I'd wake up in the morning and I couldn't move the pain in my stomach and I'd just have to run and give me a cold Pepsi Cola or something or crawl across the floor. And then after about 18 months of being a vegetarian, I didn't even know what vegetarian, I never heard vegetarian. Because back then, when I stopped eating meat, when you went to a restaurant, they gave the vegetables away. It's called side oil. You order whatever you want, and the rest of it went with it. You coming in, not going to order this steak and talking about this side oil. They wouldn't even wait on me. 
But 18 months, my sinus trouble left, and mine was so bad, if I moved within a 50-mile radius, I'd have a sinus attack. Now, remember now, I'm still drinking and smoking. And then, six months after that, my ulcers disappeared. And then that's why I slowed up and said, wait, it must be something to not eat animal product. And you know, we call it, you know, meat. No, it's called flush. Meat is called the meat of the apple, the meat of the orange. See how they switch words on you? The meat of the nut, you know. And the three strongest animals in the jungle, the gorilla, the elephant, and the rhinoceros, they ain't never ate nothing but fruit and berries. My problem was that once you do something that dramatic, all my black friends, uh -oh. they became scientists. <laughs> How come you don't eat no meat? What do you do for protein? Well, when you love people, you can explain things to them and it gets through. I said, well, the three strongest animals in the jungle, the gorilla, the elephant, the rhinoceros, well, they don't eat no meat. Matter of fact, the meat you eat don't eat meat. <laughs> See how simple it is? And matter of fact, protein, there's a lot of protein in a steak, but cows don't eat steak. See how you have to do it? And then little by little, and then when I lost the weight, I'll be honest, I don't think I could have lost the weight had I not been fasting, I went 40-day fast to protest the war in Vietnam. Mm. And then I extended it to a, another 40 days. You so I went 40 days on water, and mm. 40 days on fruit juice, and 40 days on fruit, and 40 days on water. And when I got through, I was 92 pounds. Wow, down from 350. And I had stopped smoking and stopped. I didn't mean to. You know. <laughs> See, I advocate that people belong to AA to take a drink on the way because that other stuff ain't worked. You know, yeah. that drink is the 13th step. Yeah. And so what I did is had I stopped smoking and drinking at the same time, then I probably wouldn't have been here now because I would have thought it was uh, the smoking and drinking that changed it. But I was smoking and drinking, and the only thing I had changed was animal product. Uh, mm that uh, anything died, so it's decomposing. Decomposition is mucus and pus. You can re retard decomposition by refrigeration. But is your stomach a refrigerator or incubator? So it speeds it up. I don't have no problem with how you eat. I have a problem that the people who's ripping you off do not tell you and it's hard for you to listen to somebody else when all the stuff you eating that's bad, your mother gave it to you, your yeah. church gave it to you, your state gave it to you. So why would you believe somebody else? And so when you sit and you look, are you all aware that nowhere on this planet that's not locked into some kind of money, financial aid with us, will take our food from this country because it's genetically engineered? And if you know anything about Europe, they call it Frankenstein food. Huh? 
and they will not take your potatoes because all white potatoes and red potatoes is genetically engineered and there's a hormone in there that one day you'll find out about, but it might be too late. And none of them countries will use it. And the whole world's laughing at you now because it's a strange phenomenon that's going on. We don't understand up until this year, 98% of the folks died from the flu were 65 and over. Y'all been reading that? This year is different. This year, 87% of the flu deaths is 65 and down with the highest number from 36 to 20. And all over the world, they laughing, saying genetically engineered potatoes. They're getting it from the fast food. Now let's look at it. China's the most populated country in the world. They've had 300 cases and no deaths, no fast food. No potatoes from here, okay? India, populated, 37 cases. Russia, none, but you know how they lie. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's that whole thing. Yeah. Now, three top killers in America. You know, people ask me, I, I, I'm, I'm 77, right? They say, you look so well. How do you know when you're getting old? You know when you're getting old. When somebody compliment them beautiful alligator shoes you wearing and you barefooted. <laughs> you also know when you're getting old when you go in a restaurant and order a three-minute egg and they make you pay in advance. <laughs> the number one cause of death in America is sleep deprivation. Number two, dehydration. And number three, lack of physical fitness. All of them are free, all of them is a gift from the universe, but we don't have time. And then you have to pay a price. And so I was telling my wife the other day, I'm 77, she's 72, and we don't have a prescription between the two of us. Wow. And, and, and that's, that's you know, that's, you know. And, and, and so if you drink the water and walk, walk. This black woman came up to me and she said, you know, I, you say walk, but I got a bad leg. Walk bad. <laughs> walk the same way you walk when you go buy them lottery tickets. <laughs> I'm sorry, you That's lying. okay. I want to, it's just about time. I want to give the audience a chance to uh, weigh in here and ask you a few questions. But, uh, so get ready if you have questions. We're going to have someone uh, walking around the room with a mic. But I just want to go do a real quick riff with you. Yes, please. On some names. Cause okay. I, you just know so many people and know so much history. And I just yes. Get, give me a, one, a line or two on each one of these names. Lillian Gregory. Uh, my wife. Uh, my daughter asked me one day, she said, Dad, um, those of y'all know much him, brilliant. They just, they just out. All, all their life they finish. Uh, I come out ghetto with no education, I'd, I'd be scared when somebody called me dad. So she said that, uh, she was like seven years old, she said, we are, we're doing this uh, essay and I, I had a choice to do it on space astronauts or do it on the family. So I decided to do it on family. And I asked mother, can I interview you? And I said, yes. So she said, um, how did you propose to, to mom? And I said, well, Michelle, me and your mother got married on February the 2nd, and you was born on March 28th. 
she said, oh, I think I'll do it on the astronauts. Right? <laughs> Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. I knew him personally. I could not tell you 10 friends of his because I didn't know him from that level. Uh, I put him on a 30-day water fast and he went on a 30-day water fast. We can call Michael crazy and all of that if we want, but when Michael died, he owns, right to this minute, 50% of Sony records, which is worth about $40 billion. Now, what he didn't know, and I got this from friends from British intelligence, that under the land in Netherland is more oil than is in Kuwait. Okay? And so, as close as we was, I didn't want to get involved with that with him because I got it for some friends for me. He had the mind of a, of a child. He asked me one day, why am I so strange? Why am I so weird? I said, well, you are that. But I said, how old are you? That's 10 years ago. I said, I'm 40 years old. And I said, well, Michael, you've been a star since you was five years old. Now, I can't use the word I use to him here. But you read it in. I said, Michael, you're 40, and since you're five years old, you never had to beg a woman for sex. I said, think about that. I was mad 40 years then. I said, I've been mad to Lillian for 40 years. I'm still baking. <laughs> and if I had to take off 77, if I had to count all the time that I begged for sex, I'd be about 15 years old now. <laughs> but think about Michael. Yeah. Think about never walking to school in the wintertime or in the summertime when it's hot or being pressed for homework or sitting in class nervous, wondering if you're passing that. They're private tutors, they no private tutor gonna mess around when they know their job depends on that. So all of those normal things. One more. Room service. One more. Room service. You ever had room service? You eat at the restaurant? You know the strange thing about room service in the restaurant? You can't smell the food. When you're at home, you smell the onions and the garlic and you smell everything. So all his life, he's I told Michael one day, I'm surprised you get up in the middle of the morning and open up the refrigerator and the light come on, you don't start doing your act. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but he was that genius, but who wouldn't be if all they had to do was that? Huh? They didn't have to worry about money, huh? They didn't have to worry about this, they didn't have to worry about that. You know, and, and you, you ladies, you see, I don't know what pressure that put on us men. I tell people about Clarence <laughs> Thomas. Now, some of y'all don't like Clarence Thomas, but you got to understand, Clarence Thomas was poor, black, rural, mama couldn't read or write. He had nappy hair, thick jaws, wide nose, but he looked real Negroic. <laughs> and you black women wouldn't go to the prom with him. So he married him a white woman and hated us all. So I teach my granddaughters, just go to the prom with <laughs> Do we have a question? Yes. Yes, thank you. Wait, wait, she got to bring the mic yeah. down to you. Well, can everybody hear me? It's, it's, being, it's being recorded. Okay. 
Okay, thank you for being here. Um, you mentioned that when you were hired by Hugh Hefner at the Playboy yes. Club that he listed you as a Negro comedian. Well, yes. Chicago Humanities Festival listed you as an African-American comedian in the bios. Uh, what's the difference? Between African and African? Well, what is a Negro? That's the first thing. It's not something that I named me. And I don't understand why you, you black folks are upset over the word nigger. You can you, never be a nigger. You named your autobiography. Nigger, yeah. Nigger. And if I had a child and it would be guaranteed right now at 77, God would bless me and give me a boy child that would grow up to be the greatest athlete in the history of the planet, greatest, greatest runner, greatest distant runner, greatest hurdler, greatest football, basketball, I'd name him nigger, so y'all have to sit in the radio and say, and nigger cuts to the left. <laughs> and, nigger, uh, and you better not say that nigger, because his name ain't that nigger, his nigger is nigger. <laughs> and then all at once, the O.J. Simpson trial came through, and millions of people believe he did it, but he beat it because the way Mark Furman used the word nigger. So someone other than us decided it's going to be switched to the N-word, and black folk went along with it. You think my Jewish brothers and sisters would be stupid enough because some Germans was upset over Hitler, they changed the word swat sticker to the S and, 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 and concentration camp to the C word? If you ask Jews all over the world, what did Jesse Jackson say to make you mad? He said, Hami Town, not the H word. <laughs> and that's what I love about my If I had to be born over again, I want to be Irish. Why? Because they didn't call Irish nigger, they called them drunken fighting Irish. Okay, and what they did, they took the word drunken off and carried fighting Irish to Notre Dame. <laughs> okay. Anybody over here? Questions? We have a mic. Questions? Did you finish y'all? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So you don't have any problem with that word? Huh? You don't have any problem with that word? Look, if I juice the orange yeah. right now and threw it on you, if you're stupid enough to believe you're orange, <laughs> then you're something wrong here. Just because somebody throw that on me. If I say, all oh, you hoes in here stand up, you get mad, you a hoe. I didn't call your name. <laughs> it's a game. Yeah. And look, when the gays was in the closet, they couldn't be cops. They couldn't be principals of schools. There were a lot of jobs they couldn't get. When they came out the closet, things changed. So how come coming out the closet is good for everybody except me? We're going to put nigger in the closet. America is mature enough to deal with that filthy word. It didn't come from another planet. It was created right here by homegrown American boys. And let me tell you something. When I was growing up as a child, there was a lot of people scared of their headaches. They didn't want to get checked because they might find out it's a brain tumor. Well, you keep lying and covering up stuff, and you'll die just like them old folks died that didn't want to hear the truth. Somewhere, you women didn't get to be pilots and president, all these men, because you hid the fact. You let them know we don't like what's going on. And when I think about, you know, when I think, of, if I was a white woman, I would just tear up the 15th Amendment. 15th Amendment gave black slaves, ex-slave men, the right to vote. And you didn't get it to 1920. And you came over on the boat with the boy. Huh? <laughs> and so when you stop and think about, you know, 
No, you can never be a nigga just cause somebody, all right, let me put it this way. You billionaire, now go to Neiman Marcus and run up your account. Just cause I call you a billionaire don't make you one. And the problem that bothers me that anything negative you call, you can take that, but if I called you a billionaire, oh, he must be crazy. And so somewhere, that's why I, don't, I have a problem when you hide anything. Huh? We are where we are now in America. We are a better nation now than we was before the King and the Civil Rights Movement because we was hiding it. And now we got to get to the point. The paper I was looking for mm -hmm. was this. this. Y'all can probably punch it up on the internet. UCLA Psychiatrist Department did a huge piece where they put a brain scan on 100 white folks. And it showed up on a huge screen, the brain. And it had all the segments, you know, happiness, sadness, fear, fright. And out of them 100 white folks, they showed them pictures of their family. It's already been prearranged. Pictures of the family, pictures of where they grew up, pictures of folks they knew when they were little children. And, 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 and you could see this lovely, quiet tranquility. Then they showed them pictures of a black man. And 63% of them fear damn near jump through their skull and they're not aware of this. Now put that on hold. They took 100 black folks, hooked them up, did the same thing. Showed them a picture of a black man. 64% of them reacted the same way. You don't qualify to change this if you don't know what go on in the human body. We played long enough on this emotional crap. Now let's sit down and bring in some honest folks, not some old people that, that, that want to trick scientists. I'm in Budapest not too long ago, and they're talking about uh, 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 climate change. And all these brilliant people standing up, and they saying, well, this scientist said it's not, this scientist said not. So I just got down in my ghetto drag. I said, well, you know, I, I don't know nothing about uh, you know, climate change. All I know is this. I know that there's glaciers been there for millions of years, they melting. <laughs> Case over. You know, but a lot of y'all feel like you gotta be smart and all that kind of stuff. You black folks, I mean, you gotta, I was, some white folks wanna find out what was in my head. They read all my stuff. So they bring me over $40,000. They just wanna hear. Uh, Mr. Gregory, what's some of the pressing things you have on your mind today? <laughs> now I'm going to tell them, right? I said, well, I, 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 I'm trying to find out what happened to albinos after high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Every high school got albinos, then they disappear. I don't know where they go. An albino ain't never raped a woman. It'd be easy to find. <laughs> I've been in the military, no albinos, huh? I work to audience like this all the time, no albinos. I'm on the plane every day, no albinos. What happened to albinos after high school? They couldn't handle it. They said, well, what's the next thing that's bothering you? I said, I'm 76 years old, and I've never seen a baby pigeon. I don't know nobody that knows somebody that's seen a baby picture. 
And when you see pigeons, they're always sitting up on electric wires. Where did they sit before they was electric? <laughs> we, we have time for two more questions. Questions, okay. Uh, recently in the news, there was a judge in the Deep South who refused to marry interracial couples yes. on the excuse that uh, their children, like Tiger Woods, would yes. have major problems. Uh, if he were here in the audience today, what would you like to say to him? To them, to who? No, what do you mean? No, say that again. I'm... What would you say to the judge? To the judge? He we, eventually he uh, resigned. He resigned, yeah. Yes. He didn't resign. He, but if he, he were here he, right no, now, he embarrassed the whole state and the whole nation. Huh? You know, there's a whole lots of things that embarrass us. Like we at war, we got a democracy now that we're exposing to the whole world, and this is just not some thug on the corner. This is a judge. Hmm? with that attitude. But a whole lot of Americans got that attitude. And we tolerate it because you can hide your feelings. You don't have to come out, you know. The dumber you are, you know, it's like, why do you think they put all these swatch stickers on Jewish temples? Because that dumb white boy, he can't recognize a Jew. <laughs> he see him coming out here, there's another white dude, huh? But that's his church over there, he put swatch stickers and all that stuff on. But once you flush it out, He's not the only one. Suppose he would have gone on and married him, he still felt that way, mm. to keep his job. That's why we got to work and flush this whole thing out. But let me tell you, let me tell you the sad part. It's a weak clap. <laughs> there you go. I want y'all to hear this good. Most black folk, sometimes we make mistakes, can race, recognize a racist white the same way you can recognize my blackness. We act like we don't. When I'm with white folks when I was growing up, I hear them say them effing Jews, or if you feel that way about somebody that white, I know how you feel about me. <laughs> when all at once when you refer to my sister as gal. Hmm? So there's little things. But I, I say this to say this, that I believe that there would come a day I could walk through an airport and they could have a camera that could protect a bottle of water in my bag. Hmm? That I didn't know was there. When I was a little boy, people didn't know nothing about Brain tumors, they thought it was migraine headaches. They hadn't invented the machines to go in there and see the tumor, then tested to see if it was malignant. And when I was a little boy, when they gave you brain surgery, they took a saw and cut your skull over. Now they go up through your nose. Huh? That's how fast it's going. So DNA, DNA didn't just get invented. <laughs> when we discovered it, DNA been here since day one. <laughs> But look at all the people that died and been to jail wrong because of the invention went. Now hear me good. There will come a day that they can run a test. Right now, when you get out the car and they test you for driving drunk or drunk, you think they need the blood, they got a flashlight they can shine over there and pick up your alcohol level. Okay? There will come a day when these brilliant scientists, not born now, 
will be able to test you and tell if you're racist or sexist, if you hate Jews, if you hate black folks. Why? To save their companies from lawsuits. Huh? All right? Okay? All about the money. And just like a hundred years ago, most folks didn't know what cancer was, didn't know what a heart attack was, they existed. And so we're gonna be into a whole new world now because this thing has become global. And that's why, hey, when you go outside this country and you have talking about the ugly American, they ain't talking about black folks, and they, they should, because some of us are just as ugly as you. <laughs> and I behave you. All of that is gonna have to change. That's how Obama have changed things around the world. That's why we had 15 minutes to try to get stuff right. And when he went to that first G8 meeting in London, huh? and if you've been following the G8 meetings and the G20 meetings all over the world for the last 20 years, white children have showed up, and whoever's the president, they burn him in effigy. You've always seen it, except in London when Obama was sworn in and two weeks later he went to London, they didn't hang him because they sensitive to how many black folks been lynched. Now how can foreigners be this sensitive but we can't at home? And you dropping it, huh? And y'all talking about, oh, the, the, the stimulus packet and, and the, the medical bill, we leaving this for their children. You ain't left nothing for your children that they're gonna have to pay for like a racist attitude and a new world that ain't gonna tolerate it and can test you to see if it's there. Amen. That's what's going on. Do we have time for one more? So one last quick question. Um, I'm, I'm freezing. Um, in the South, there was a young lady who went to Walmart. She, when she walked in the door, she put, a door, she put her daughter in line. She went and got her belongings, which I do that too. And when she got, when she got there, back in line, they arrested her for cutting the line, and they're now trying to give her 15 years for cutting the line in Walmart. Uh, I, I, listen, the case is, is real. Um, Oh, and, what and, what and, city was that in? I, I can't think of the city, but they've been asking for, this has been going on for two years, I found out, and they've been asking for the closed caption of what actually went on in Walmart, and nobody, the district attorney, uh, will not supply it. At first, they wanted to um, do a plea bargain with her, and she refused to do it. And so that, that's when they decided they were going to give her 15 you years know, to cut the me line. Let me say this, and normally I wouldn't use this as an example. But some of y'all in here know about this sheriff in that little town in Texas that put hundreds of black men in jail by framing them with drugs. Some of y'all know what this daily machine did to black men. And if it wasn't for that white dude, that investigative reporter mm -hmm. that talked about how they tortured them. The John Burge case you talked yes, about. Yes, okay. And found out how many of them. Mm -hmm. So it, just, it, it happens all over. Every now and then they get caught. Have y'all heard about that little little town in Pennsylvania, all white, where all them judges just got busted because they found out they was in cahoots with the white companies in New York that build the jails, and then they wanted to build youth center jails. And all these white, this one white girl said, well, I had uh, five months. How long have you been here? I've been here five years. Huh? And so if they do that to white, what are they gonna do to, to us? 
But you must remember one thing that I never learned until I went south in the Civil Rights Movement. In the South, they don't care how close you get as long as you don't get too big. That was proved by slavery. I'm, I'm living on the same piece of land he lived on. He called his a whole called mine plantation. I was living in the shack, he was living in the big house. We were living together. Up north, they don't care how big I get as long as I don't get too close. Okay, same. Huh? Now, let me show you how it works. I couldn't understand in the civil rights movement why them white folks was blowing up churches, killing black folks and white folks in the stroll, killing two civil rights workers, two white and one black. And I realized why. They lived close enough to me in the South to say, if you give them niggas the right to vote, they'll be in the White House. They was right. <laughs> they were right. And y'all can sit here with all your little cuteness, but imagine if I waved a magic wand and all you black and white folks from here become dirt poor white folks with no education, can't read, can't write, living in the poor of the land. And up until Obama, you could always say, well, at least I ain't no nigger. You can't say that no more. Imagine what they're going through. And we just came out of New York looking at some research, and for the first time in the history, first time this year that 50% of all women that was killed was killed by their husbands or boyfriends. This is, see, you got the economy thing, plus you got this projection thing, and then all at once, if y'all would just do me a favor, go to the store this week and go to the dog food section and buy a can of Alpo. Just don't look at it, buy it to you to show your friends. They've taken the dog off Alpo because more human beings, particularly white folks, is eating more dog food than dogs. Huh? Now, the pride, I don't want to talk about it. I want to go through so this whole mix, and I'm telling y'all, if this thing don't change, I mean, we got one set of rules, huh? for black folks, another set of rules for white folks, another set of rules for women. When I looked at Jeremiah Wright, when, when, when they were saying, well, how come you didn't leave the church? And the boy, like I said, he's just kind and nice because he asked me that. I just said, well, <clears throat> I didn't see no Catholic priests and nuns leaving the church when the priest got caught. <laughs> so why I got to be different? Huh? Hillary asked the question, I got on the radio and said, Miss Hillary, whatever Jeremiah was doing, he wasn't breaking the law. What your husband got caught doing in the White House, that was a violation of the law. And he insulted and ashamed you and your daughter around the world. You didn't leave him. <laughs> so the rules changed. Now, let me, let me just close with this. The, the, the question you ask is getting a lot of attention and something will happen. The reason the justice of the peace or the judge had to step down is getting attention, getting attention. Whole well, lots of stuff happened that we don't know about. The three people, three people, that's the cause of slavery ending in the Civil War before Lincoln was one, 
don't know why I can't think of his name. <laughs> uh, William, that was, come on. I just, I was just at the, his award for Bill Cosby. Huh? Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Y'all don't know who Mark Twain is. Mark Twain was born on Haley's Comet. It comes every 75 years, 75 years later. He died on Haley's Comet. What did he do? He wrote these books, and unbeknown to most folks, he was the first writer that refused to write with that old English style. Huh? He wrote Southern, Midwestern, America. And when he wrote Huck Finn, Nigger Jim, if you don't understand his intelligence and where he was coming from. You see, before he said Nigger Jim, all black folks was nigger. Come here, nigger. And when that white boy said nigger, all y'all looked. Because nigger didn't have a name. I was Kachipi's nigger. And then Mark Twain came through for the first time in the history of America and gave nigger a name. This nigger is named Jim. Huh? It's the first time that ever happened. And if you go back and read Huck Finn, you notice when they're sitting on the riverbank fishing, it's the first conversation of a black and a white as human beings. He wasn't talking to him like you own me, and he wasn't putting the, the worms on his fish hook. And when he, the white boy caught the fish, he didn't debone it. They was two human beings. Now, number two, Harry Beecher Stowe. See, we forget that 94% of white folks in America never owned slaves. So they didn't know what slaves went through until she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin and them white folks got to read what Uncle Tom went through and the atmosphere changed. Okay, so you got a black man that has a name for the first time, then she comes around and tell you who didn't know and then when you go way back down before that, John Brown. Y'all talk about heroes if you want. John Brown. John Brown. See, I didn't know Harper's Ferry. The raid took place on October the 16th, 150 years ago, this 16th of October. 18 months before the Civil War, John Brown was a preacher. Y'all talking about some radical Islamists? He woke up one day and said, God told me to free him. And he got him a little posse together, a little group, including his sons, and raided Harper's Ferry. It was one of the two places in America where the government stored ammunition. And he went there where there was 100,000 guns and say, we're going to get these guns and give them to the slaves. How 16 people going to get? But the fear was so frightening. They got him. They killed most of them. His two sons shot him, gave him a trial, sent him to die, and they hanged him on December the 2nd. And this come December 2nd, I'm going to be at the very spot in Charlestown, West Virginia, where he died just to say to his spirit, we got you. 
Let me tell you what happened. As he walked out of the jail to go be hanged, he slipped a note to the newspaper reporter that read, for what you're doing to the black people, you will pay for it with your blood. And 16 months later, the Civil War. And when them Union soldiers was fighting, what were they singing as they marched to the front to kill or be killed? John Brown and John Brown. That's how important he was. You don't know it now because that part is here. If you go to Washington, D.C., go to Lincoln Monument. He's known all over the world for the Emancipation Proclamation. There's people that know of Lincoln and never knew he was president. If you look at that huge Lincoln Monument, not one word up there about the Emancipation Proclamation, okay? Only in America, only in America. And so, have this thing changed? You see, I don't need to be validated by nobody. There's a universal God for us. My validation's already in. Not what I can sit here and tell you. I only think I got one bad blemish on my thing. I, I, I don't pay my bills. <laughs> I don't know if the real God's into that. If it is, then I got some explaining to do. <laughs> you know. But I don't know if y'all remember when that tree fell on my car squashed it down, right, and, and everybody thought I was dead. Right. And I got out of the hospital that night, they ran all the checks and the press was there with a huge picture of the car, and they said, Mr. Gregory, how do you explain that you're not dead? Well, they thought I was gonna do what most Negroes do, which ain't nothing wrong. Jesus, I didn't say that. I, said, I owe white folk too much money. <laughs> yes. Just my Neiman Marcus account. <laughs> now, I yeah. say that to say this. 40 years ago, when I'm running in Mississippi for my life, did I ever believe that I could stand here tonight and tell you in Mississippi tonight, a black man's head of Mississippi State Troopers, black woman's head of social services, did I ever think I would see today that white folks would ask me to comment on white folk problems. I'm coming back from Europe three weeks ago and CNN's there at Kennedy. I mean, Gregory, you, you think we'll ever uh, uh, catch Ben Loudon? I say, we? <laughs> I ain't looking for him. I'm still trying to find out who my daddy is. Thank you, baby. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, thank, thank you so you. much. Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book, The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book in the link below.